Welcome back to another exciting episode of Fantasy Tavern. Uh, I am here again as always, and possibly joining me is my cat. Um, Phobos is outside the door right now looking very cute. Yes, I see you there. He, he's adopting his, his favorite pose for me. Uh, he likes to lay on his back with his pause up and uh, show me his fangs and uh, <laughs> that's that's what he likes to do oh now he's playing with his toy uh, yeah so he might he might wander in but if you hear any noises in the background that's just him playing with his toy so no never mind that and we're back again for another episode as I've said it took me quite a while to actually get in the chair to do this episode because uh, it's that time of the month, and I don't know why, but I just felt especially drained. So, this is a Sunday recording, and I'm hoping that I'll have everything all wrapped up and posted by this evening. So, uh, that's something that I'll be working on. And then we'll also have the musical components that I've been talking about for a few weeks now. Those should also be posted on Patreon at some point tonight. So that is a little exciting development. Uh, it's nothing exciting, just a couple songs I've been working on, but I'm just going to try and start getting some work out there. And then from there, I'm going to eventually work on finally finishing up um, a proper theme song for the podcast. So in the meantime, I'm just using some found music that is available on YouTube. But in the future, we'll have an actual theme song. And... I've uh, just been kind of going over the audio and video from the last couple weeks, trying to just, you know, keep a little notebook of things that are going well, things that aren't going so well, and, you know, things that, uh, for I, um, things like brainstorming ideas for future episodes, and just keeping track of uh, anybody who wants to come and co-host. So I'm happy to announce that we have all of the episodes planned in advance for next month for Fantasy Tavern. So the topics that I will be going with are uh, the Satanic Panic and the Moral Panic of the 80s. Well, culminating mostly in the 80s, but uh, kind of it's been an issue for a little while in pop culture and entertainment is the morality police and, uh, you know, fears of you know, certain games, toys, movies, books, things like that, drawing the, especially the young people, into the life of the devil and things like that. So I'll be doing an episode on that, focusing very heavily on Dungeons and Dragons as a huge um, point of contention for those who were um, protesting the so-called satanic activities. And I'll uh, also have an episode on witches in pop culture. Very excited for that one. 
and um, it's been kind of just an ongoing thing throughout, you know, popular culture, uh, the archetype of the witch, and just going to be you know, kind of touching on um, more recent examples in pop culture as well as sort of what I grew up watching uh, in terms of how witches were portrayed in media and uh, just a kind of a brief history of, of witches in general. We'll also be doing an episode on true crime, something that I have gotten into again recently and something that is a very big um, obsession uh, for a lot of people who listen to podcasts. So we'll be doing an episode on true crime and kind of delving into that and uh, with a special focus on Canadian true crime. And then uh, we'll have kind of a sort of to uh, kick it all off. I wanted to st kind of start the month off with a recommendations for horror movies, TV shows, and sort of just like general creepy, spooky, scary stuff for the month. So it's going to be basically an entire Halloween month. I will be in costume as well for each video version of the podcast. So if you do have YouTube or are subscribing to the Patreon, you will have that as a little extra October treat. So thank you again for those of you who are tuning in. And I hope that you are enjoying the podcast so far. Once again, I welcome any suggestions and criticisms and things like that to help make the show better. If anybody out there has any projects, products, or services that they would like me to help promote for them, you are always welcome to suggest it and I will put it on a future episode. Uh, and then I think that's all that I wanted to announce before we get started on this week's episode. And the topic for this week that I have picked is Indigenous representation and pop culture. So the reason that I decided to go with the topic for this week, uh, as most of you probably know, uh, it is Orange Shirt Day this week, which is a holiday that ha was created fairly recently in Canadian history. And uh, Orange Shirt Day on September 30th commemorates the uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which allows the country to reflect on Canada's legacy, a very shameful and abusive legacy of the residential school system. So that is something that is coming up. Um, and in the summer, we also had um, the Indigenous Peoples History Month uh, with the official day on June 21st. And it's become sort of um, a big talking point in politics and um, in social activism in the last couple years that Indigenous representation as well as Indigenous rights and um, it, it's, it's all kind of becoming um, something that's at the forefront of politics. It's something that I don't think people have really talked about enough and it's a uh, I think every single country in some way has some sort of history of suppressing and colonizing its indigenous populations. So it's something that I think is very important and and um, a long time coming that we ha we are seeing more 
not just representation at all, but a positive representation of First Nations culture, Métis and, and Inuit culture, um, of uh, all over the world. I'm going to focus in this episode mostly on North American Indigenous culture as it pertains to pop culture, but we will be touching on a few different countries and their Indigenous uh, ethnic representation uh, as it pertains to their cultures as well. So um, that's we'll, we'll try and, and get all of our international um, bases covered, as it were. But uh, for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to try to focus on Canada. And it's uh, it's something that, as somebody who isn't Indigenous myself, um, growing up in a country where you're told basically your entire life that your country is progressive and it's multicultural and it's it's so far ahead of all these other countries in terms of um, tolerance and, um, and and rights and um, you know like making sure that everybody is treated equitably it that that's sort of the the idea that Canadians are given from a very young age. And I'd like to think that in the generation I grew up in, um, that's more true. And I'd like to think that in this generation, it's becoming even more and more of a fact. But the fact also remains that um, there's very little to no representation for, for Native people. And any representation that we have been seeing up until maybe like 15, 20 years ago has all been based on a lot of stereotypes. Um, and it's, it's also being um, expressed through appropriation of indigenous culture. Um, and we see this in things like, you know, people wearing headdresses, feather headdresses that they are not in any way allowed to be wearing um, as a fashion statement. Um, or, for example, sports teams continuing to use racist logos depicting um, Indigenous people uh, as caricatures. So there's, there's definitely things like that that are still going on. Um, so... That I and I think there's a lot of other examples I could give um, that it's stemming from a, a really long history of of indigenous people not really being able to own their identities and very much having who they are and what they look like and how they act and what they represent being decided by other people being decided by a bunch of white guys basically who made up in their heads their idea for what indigenous culture is and 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 they're basically defining it for an entirely different culture so we're gonna just we're, we're gonna um touch on a few things basically this episode is going to be not so much of a education in terms of like the history uh there will be a little bit of that, as I've already kind of, of mentioned, but
but there it'll be mostly reviews and uh, brief synopsis and sort of um, explanations on some popular uh, movies, um, TV shows, albums, um, content creators, and just certain ideas of what um, what is a what is a native person, what is an indigenous person what can that look like now in 2022 as well? Not just our sort of outdated ideas of what that means from, from back when we were kids or back even before that through just whoever has been writing history books on behalf of other people. Um, it's similar to sort of like, uh, like any sort of tradition, any sort of belief system, any sort of visual representation um, gender representation, sexual sexuality, things like that. All of these things within within the entire world as well as within the indigenous community, those things are all changing and evolving. Um, our, our perceptions and opinions as well as the perceptions and opinions of the indigenous community are always going to be transforming based on how the outside world is informing them and how how willing um, indigenous culture is to sort of just shaking off that colonialist rhetoric that I think anyone who isn't indigenous is always going to be seeing that world through. That there's like I have to acknowledge that as somebody who isn't native to acknowledge that even though I'm trying my hardest, there's still always a chance that I'm going to be looking at that that aspect of culture through the lens of colonialism, through the lens of a, of a non-Indigenous person who's been westernized, who's been very much colonialized myself. Even though I'm, I'm not, even though I have different aspects of my identity that may sort of, you know, fall in line with certain things, there's there's also aspects of being indigenous that I will never understand fully that I will just like, all I can do is just do my best to educate myself, show appreciation and try not to take away. So through certain forms of media, I think that that is possible. I think it is um, a way for, for everybody to see that it's not, to, to see a, a side of of indigenous life that they may not have understood and therefore were against. Because a lot of times when people are bigoted or they're fearful um, or they just believe whatever, sto whatever made-up stories that they've been told in the past, a lot of it is, is out of fear. Um, fear of the unknown, fear of, fear of being told your whole life that someone is your enemy. Um, it's lots of different things all rooted back to fear. So I think that with um, living in the time that we live in and having access to not just, you know, traditional um, aspects of life uh, um, that are removed from our, our super industrialized uh, technocratic sort of world that we live in now, but I think that 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 sort of traditional um, way of life mixed with 
modernity, if whatever you want to refer to modernity as, um, those things can all work together. And so we can have people with identities that are rooted in different different times and different levels of of society and that's okay and i think that that's a big that's a, that's a big stepping stone in in sort of bridging gaps between you know cultures and and between um forms of entertainment is realizing that there's there, there's a connection between the then and the now there and there's a connection between between the person watching the media, uh, consuming the media, and the people in it. Where it's not just representation and you're saying, oh, it's nice that that person who isn't me is being represented, but you can also say, I, I can see myself in this person that I'm watching or that I'm listening to. And it's not just, it's not just uh, two outsiders. It's not just, you know, two, two completely separate entities that are never going to never going to understand and recognize one another and it becomes more of a true appreciation for someone's craft a true appreciation for for the things that make us the same as well as the things that make us unique so it's something that i think uh really needs to get talked about to just in terms of like just good fucking entertainment because there's so many good shows out there so many good movies lately um, so much good music and a lot of really good creators on social media right now that are really changing the face of how uh, indigenous actors and creators and musicians and playwrights and singers and athletes and everyone are being portrayed. And I think it's really important to keep that going, keep that energy up. So in the spirit of that, uh, I will um, start with my list momentarily. Um, we'll, we'll deal with the snacks and the drinks really quick before I get into the actual full video. Um, so, because I wasn't feeling very well, um, I didn't really leave the house very much. So, uh, I don't really have a ton of snacks today. Um, so, I'm basically just like snacking on cold pizza. <laughs> That's my snack for the day. Um, I decided to get some pizza yesterday from a place in Oakville that I've been thinking about for a while. So I went and got some of that uh, delivered to the house. Um, and I t decided that I was going to get something to drink today, um, even though I was sort of, you know, on the fence about it because I think that's, I need something to just take the edge off the fact that my entire body is in pain and I'm bleeding profusely right now. So, um, I didn't know this, but, uh, I was on Uber Eats, um, and this is how sometimes, you know, advertising works because, uh, somebody showed me a really hilarious ad for Uber One, which I didn't actually end up using, but it, it kind of made me want to use Uber again because it was actually so fucking funny. Um, it's a Julia Fox Uber One commercial, if you haven't actually seen it. Um, I actually quite like people who make fun of themselves, so, uh, as, as annoying as I find her to be, I actually thought it was really fucking funny. Um, so, uh, 
check that commercial out. Um, so I didn't know this about Uber, but there's actually breweries that are on Uber Eats that you can order from. Because generally when you order alcohol from a food delivery service, you have to order food with it. Um, and the only way that you can get around that is if you can find somewhere that is a alcohol-only service. So they have uh, the wine rack, they have the wine shop, and they have a few select breweries on certain delivery apps depending on where you live. So in Oakville, uh, I'm fortunate enough to live very close to the Cameron's Brewing. So I didn't know this until today, but they deliver through Uber. So I was fortunate enough to have this delivered to my house. Um, it was only around $20. And I got an assorted four pack of cans. And did not have to step outside my door. This isn't something I normally do. I, I'm usually not a lazy piece of shit and do actually go out to get my alcohol from the store or go pick it up, but I was just I was just not feeling it this weekend. So, just a little tidbit of information for all of you. Uh, that is an option. So you do you, there. It is a possibility to order things from Uber without having to get food. Um, I always think it's so funny. I, I have a part-time job right now at a restaurant. And we do skip the dishes deliveries. So it's always funny when you go to pack an order and it's very clear that the person who's ordering it just wanted the booze because they'll order like a single candy bar or like a bag of chips or like two bite brownies or something just to get the food. Um, and then the, the whole rest of their order will be like two six packs of beer. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of cool little piece of information for all of you, in case you didn't know. Uh, so what did we get today? And um, this is going to be my return to drinking beer because it's not something that I normally drink. Um, I swore off beer for the entire summer, basically, and I'm just starting to get back into it now with the colder weather. So um, also the first time in a really long time that I've had IPAs. Um, I believe I mentioned the last episode that I tried an IPA for the first time in a while. I believe it was Karma Citra. Uh, so this one from Cameron's is called Cruising Through the Galaxy. Hazy IPA. Love that UFO on there. Accurate representation of what I want to have happen to me right now. Just to have some people up fucking up, aliens fucking abduct me. Off this ghetto-ass planet. Um, this one's kind of cool. This one's called Samurai, and it is a sour beer. It's got a cute little samurai fox on there. And it says here, um, it says it goes good with barbecue and fried chicken, which I like. I like those things. Uh, hints of peach. Nice, nice. Um, now I just have to decide which one I'm going to crack open first. Uh, probably not the stout. I, I got the stout because uh, I, I will try it, but I'm not a fan of stout, so it's probably going to get used for some kind of baking or cooking thing. Uh, I like that it had this little eye patch viking on it, which was kind of funny. 
It's called the Crooked Nose Stout. And I'm just not a huge fan of stout um, or porters, generally, unless I'm using them to make cake or brownies or something like that, or some kind of sauce. Um, they're not really some, or maybe like an ice cream float. I've had stouts and porters as floats before, and I actually think that's pretty good. Um, it's just got that weird flavor to it. It's too very malty, and I don't always enjoy that. And it's, they're also extremely heavy. But um, I like them occasionally. And then uh, we have one more IPA here called the Jurassic IPA. Got their tiny little T-Rex arms on there. How are you going to drink your beer with those arms, T-Rex? I think I'm going to try this one first. Um, and this one's it got some citrus, grapefruit, and mango aromatics. Um with three complimentary hops blend. Sounds good to me. So we're gonna try it, start off with that one, I think. Um, I'll just put those aside, these other ones aside in the fridge for now. And without further ado, I think we can get started on this week's episode. So uh, I'm just gonna put these away. We'll crack open a cold one with the podcasters, I guess, and I'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Cracking open my beer. Yep, that's a uh, very hoppy. I can't believe I there was a period of time where I used to like actually drink these seriously, like as a real person, as an actual human being. What was I thinking? I don't, I, I wasn't, I guess. I was being a dirty hipster. Never again. Well, except for right now. <laughs> mm. It's actually not bad. Yeah, I think I'm glad I, I'm going to leave with this one. Okay, so I'm going to just go through a brief article or two that I found online regarding Indigenous representation in North America. So just to give you guys an idea of some context for this topic and sort of the dire situation that Indigenous actors and artists still are in when it comes to finding roles and um, finding roles that are a positive um, representation of, you know, their people and their culture. So this is an article from Variety by Crystal Echo Hawk. And, um, oh shoot, before we, before we even do that, because, um, so... Before before I read this article, I wanted to. I'm jumping all over the place already. I wanted to talk about the the brief inspiration for this this episode this week. Um, and before we get into this, also uh, do a land acknowledgement because um, that's something I think is important for this episode. So the reason that I wanted to do this episode, um, if you have a chance to jump online 
Um, the, the way that I saw this was through TikTok. Um, I believe it's on CBC Gem. I'm going to just double check what the sketch was called. And um, so basically it was like a game show. And uh, I believe it was called, it's, it's, from, it's from Lido TV, who, which is hosted by a Grammy-nominated artist, Lido Pimienta. And it's, it's like a TV variety show. Um, so the reason I wanted to do this episode is I happened to see a sketch from their show, Lido TV, and it was actually one of the funniest fucking things I've seen in a while. So it's basically a game show that it's a competition for non-indigenous people to to prove how big of allies they are essentially. So the the game within this game show that they're trying to win is who can do the best land acknowledge the best and most accurate land acknowledgement for an event. So two people are given uh, a province and an area within that province that they need to give a land acknowledgement for at an event and how they would do it. And so both parties proceed to deliver this extremely like uh, scenery chewing, over the top um, land acknowledgement that's supposed to be like super stoic and inspiring. And it names off, you know, all the accurate names of all the um, tribes and communities that are from that area, and, um, the one person even throws in, like, some, some native terms and phrases and greetings and things like that. At one point, there's, like, the sound of a bald eagle flying overhead <laughs> in the distance, um, and then basically the, the game show concludes with, um, the prize being that the the person who's the biggest ally gets to give up land that they that they own directly or indirectly that's on native land back to the people of that community. Which, um, as you may guess, um, the one person, the non-native person who wins this game show, uh, doesn't take that news very well. And I just thought it was brilliant. I honestly thought it was just a really smart and really funny way of um, of approaching. And it's funny because it's like it, the host of the show and all and the judges panel are all native people um, who are supposed to then be judging and making commentary on these allies, which kind of turns on its head the idea of like for so long non-native people were the ones trying to basically decide if someone was native or enough or not. Um, and then it comes back to the whole thing where it's like, the the whole thing that people don't really get when it comes to a lot of these, you know, statutory holidays and um, land acknowledgements and things like that, which I also forget myself, and it's that if you if you really talk to indigenous people, like, they want rights. They want clean water. They want their fucking land back. And you can have the most on-point land acknowledgement of anybody, but if you're not willing to actually do the real work, 
it doesn't mean anything. So that's, I honestly, like, seeing that sketch, um, and, I, I like, honestly, kudos to CD, CBC, kudos to Lido and everyone else who's in that sketch who, honestly, like, had the fucking balls to do it, because I think it's a really important thing that still needs to be said. I think that in, in Canada, and uh, among other countries, there's a very big problem with performative allyship. From from even from the highest levels of government, it's it's doing all of these things that are in essence very performative and not actually giving the people who you're claiming to be allies for the things that they actually want or need. Um, and then to do it in the medium of a TV show, a variety show, and so to make it both entertaining and socially aware, I think that that is it was just like. If I could, I'll do a chef's kiss, I'll, like, that's, that's how I felt watching it. Um, so that's my first recommendation. Um, if you have not seen Lido TV yet, or if you don't know who Lido Pimienta is, please, like, do yourself a huge favor. Um, and please look into the show and look into this artist. Um, and you will not be disappointed. Um, so... Lido Pimienta is not originally Canadian, as far as I know. Um, they're uh, Colombian origin. And um, they're known for kind of performing um, a mix of, like, modern music with sort of, like, more traditional South American um, musical style. And um, I really like the premise of the show, and um, how it's sort of blending their um, their life as a musician and as a performer with real, actual documentary style and real um, sort of satirical um, elements that actually speak to real-world issues. So um, definitely uh, check that out. It's a it's a web-based TV show. Um, it's out now, so um, please, you know, check out um, and check out Lido Pimienta. They're a Polaris Prize winner and Grammy-nominated musician. Um, just if you're really into like um, commentary on social issues and kind of surreal and very out of the box art and music and things like that, then you'll really like this show. So, before we continue. Um, as much as I don't want to be that person, um, and be that, like, lame white person, mostly white person, who, um, feels the need to do a land acknowledgement, um, I do think it is important, and, um, part of this episode, I think, if anything, it's, it's both to educate as well as entertain, but... Um, since we, since I am recording this from Oakville, I'll do a brief land acknowledgement for Oakville. Um, if you are doing any sort of event, um, or any sort of, uh, presentation or, uh, opening or closing, um, you know, statements for anything, it's always helpful to look into whether or not it would be appropriate to do land acknowledgement at that event as well. Um, 
and also in honor of the upcoming Day of Truth and Reconciliation, as well as the, um, the nature of this episode topic, I thought it would be, you know, important to kind of try to incorporate that into this, um, into this episode. So, um, if you look online as well, there will be a lot of different, um, suggestions for people to, um, look into, uh, how best to, um, celebrate or honor that day. So, for example, uh, September 30th, um, there's lots of different resources that are online now that you can use to go out into your community. Um, you can go on tours, you can participate in activities, uh, you can organize different um, activities or events at your workplace if you like. And just, you know, to uh, saying here, reflecting on the generational impact, trauma and oppression endured by Indigenous people in Canada as a result of the residential school system. Um, it's also, you know, a day to show your solidarity by wearing or purchasing a uh, orange shirt. So, um, something that I noticed not a lot of places are, are doing. So, if it's something that you feel like you can, you know, take up that torch and uh, influence the um, adoption of an orange shirt day at your place of business or, or organization or wherever you happen to be, um, might be something cool to look into. So, let's see here. So, in celebrating this land acknowledgement, um, generally the idea is you want to give um, uh, give an appreciation and uh, recognize the land on which you are standing and the different uh, territories and nations that were originally and currently still residing on this land. So for Oakville and Halton region, uh, these treaty lands are covering traditional lands of the uh, indigenous people known as the Mississaugas, which is where the name of the city comes from, uh, the Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabe, and the Haudenosaunee. And if you go online as well, you can very easily now find resources to look up where in your region um, each indigenous nation uh, has its background. And generally in a land acknowledgement, you would have that, you would have sort of terminology to acknowledge that it is still their land, um, that you are acknowledging um, any past, present, and future um, sovereignty to these nations and acknowledge that you are on their land. And it's also very important that in acknowledging that you offer gratitude. So today in this land acknowledgement, I offer my gratitude um, and offer my um, my promise to continue to teach, educate myself and others about the Indigenous relations and the Indigenous influence that all of us benefit from and that all of us share. 
and to, that I will continue to do my best to honor their presence and their teachings and their community while in their presence and on their territory. And going forward from there, um, to also recognize that um, it's a formal statement to acknowledge that I will, or the person giving the acknowledgement, will also do their best to continue strengthening relationships between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people, which we have to continue to position as, in certain cases, um, that we are oppressors, that we are that we are on their land without permission, and continue to be. So in a, in a continuous sort of search for trying to be um, supportive and trying to be an ally, um, it's important to to do research and do the work. Um, and it's important to understand understand the past in in certain ways in order to realize like we've had a, the best life that we possibly can because of others and a lot of history it's been it, it hasn't been that we've share, actually shared that so with this land acknowledgement um the future i hope can be something that is shared and something that where things that are rightfully owed are given back um and that in this new generation and this hopefully in this new time of actually addressing the past and and speaking to those hard truths that that we can we can prevent these horrible situations from happening again in the future and that we can actually um, stand by our words as allies. So this concludes the land acknowledgement for today. And now let's continue on with the remaining recommendations for Indigenous representation. So going from uh, Lido TV, because um, CBC is actually uh, not a bad resource for uh, Indigenous content. Um, I, there are definitely some other networks, um, APTN, if you're from Canada, um, is another really good resource. Uh, so that's another network that I would suggest to check out. Um, so we'll just go through a few, um, of my top recommendations when it comes to, um, each different type of media. So I'll go through movies, I'll go through TV shows, I'll go through music, um, I'll go through books, podcasts, things like that. Um, some of these might be some older movies, some of these might be some newer movies, same with the TV shows and everything. Um, but uh, I'll try to keep it more of, um, of like recent things because I don't want to focus too much on things that came out in the past. Only because um, some of the choices of things are, and I'll, I'll also try and keep it to things that are sort of more owned artistically and creatively by Indigenous creators, because um, I want to try and stay away from 
anything that's sort of a portrayal of indigenous people by someone who isn't indigenous. So we'll, we'll try and keep it based on that as well. So of course, um, I don't think that any, um, any real discussion about indigenous film can happen without mentioning smoke signals. Um, so first and foremost, let's just, let's just talk to, um, smoke signals. And, um, this is also, um, coming up in October, I believe is, um, the Imaginative Film Festival. So, um, there are also a lot of, uh, good options coming up very soon for some more suggestions. Um, so, obviously Smoke Signals, it's a classic, um, it's very quotable, it's got, uh, a pretty crazy, um, amount of representation for the time, and, um, a really, just a message of, of sort of, not really focusing on, um, on the whole idea of this is a movie about native people it's 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 honestly when you watch it um it's a good mixture of speaking to those to the issues positive and negative with positive things and negative things within the native community but it's also just kind of just a a, a slice of life movie it's a movie about you know things that every every human being deals with, with death and, um, coming of age and, and family and friends and, um, you know, being bored in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. Except in this case, it, it happens to be, um, young indigenous people on a reservation in the U.S. and so many things in in their life that are big events, milestones, even down to little things, it's all seem somewhere along the way it's going to be influenced by indigenous heritage or some sort of connection between how that's clashing with the world outside of what they know as native people. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, this was a pretty big breakout role for Adam Beach who is a pretty famous, um, Canadian actor. And, um, he was also on Texas Ranger, Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, he's had a, he's had a bunch of roles in a bunch of other really big things. Um, he's been on Law and Order SVU. Uh, he was in Suicide Squad. Um, he... So, um, basically, um, kind of like a great example of a successful Indigenous actor, um, in, let's see if there's anything else on his, uh, on his uh, filmography that I can bring up here that anybody else would know. Oh, Cowboys and Aliens! He was in that too. I remember going to see that. It's a ridiculous fucking movie. Um, see, oh, Power of the Dog. 
And yeah, so uh, he played the iconic role of Victor in Smoke Signals. Um, the basic plot of the movie is um, it's about three friends who live on a reservation in the states, I want to say Idaho. And um, it was actually, it was, it was made in 1998, and it actually was recently uh, admitted to the Library of Congress in the U.S. Um, for preservation in their National Film Registry, because it was that significant of a movie. And um, basically... Um, the, the sort of main idea of the movie, the main sort of uh, th plot vehicle, is that um, Victor's father passes away and um, they need to go to get his ashes. And um, basically, it's through this journey, um, the friends discover about themselves different things in terms of their native identity. Um, in the movie, there there is still um, the use of the term Indian instead of Indigenous or Native or First Nations. Um, so there is that to be said. There is there is some terminology that's still used that mm, is a little bit of uh, uh, awkward talking point. Um, obviously, there's still a lot of government um, legal terminology as well in Canada and the U.S. that refers to Native people, to First Nations people as Indian, which as we are um, pointing out now, is not necessarily an accurate or appropriate term for Native people. Um, as we have found out, this was a incorrect um, label that was put on the people that were found in the quote-unquote New World uh, that they thought was India, therefore called Indians. So, um, however, in the movie, in the film, uh, they're still referring to themselves and other people as Indians, as indigenous people. Um, so, while we would acknowledge now that that is not necessarily the greatest terminology to be using, um, that's still very much how people were talking and, and, and approaching, uh, what to call an Indigenous person, even back in 1998. So, just bear in mind that that is something that you may or may not, it's, I guess, as a trigger warning, some people have a really big issue with this term, so... Just throwing it out there. And there's a lot of um there's a lot of talk in the movie about sort of what it means to be to be native, to be Indian. Um like s s there's a lot of um there's a lot of examination of um a lot of a lot of anger and sadness within the community of um And then basically, like, both both the death of, of, you know, significant people in your life, but also, um, 
understanding the characters coming to an understanding of sort of like a, the cycle of of um of abuse and addiction and abandonment and, and things like that and sort of um when you grow up with that as a, an example of 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 who your role models are uh and things that you know it's that's not necessarily like um something that's completely somebody's fault but it's definitely something that you know you're taking into account in terms of um whether or not you are are holding in re resentment in because of the way your family is um resentment towards uh non-indigenous people who seem committed to keeping you oppressed and and committed to not understanding you um so it's very interesting in terms of a um indigenous owned story so it turns into um a very simple solution to a problem that Arlene can solve uh to avoid the great fry bread riot um so if there's only 50 pieces of fry bread you just take each piece of fry bread and break it in half then there's a hundred pieces for everybody. But the way that the story is told is so important. The way the story is told makes it seem, it puts it into the same league as, as, as I mentioned, sort of any, any religious parable, any creation story, any significant account of a historical of a of a significant historical figure in culture what is the difference between anybody in history books and arlene arlene has has given the community something so important here that is being acknowledged through oral storytelling it's like it's a modern day legend and it brings back to the idea of indigenous representation of having both storytelling being so important and influential to the culture, but also storytelling as a way of, of sharing important information of, of all different kinds, how, how the tradition of, of passing things down orally and, and the way in which it's presented, the way in which, it's it maybe a little bit embellished to be sure, but um, that is it, like how inspirational it is essentially, um, and that for for generations to come, people will be telling the story about how you fed a hundred people with only fifty pieces of fry bread, and it's something that going back to Smoke Signals as um, a very important movie for Indigenous representation. Um, it's sort of like a little inside joke, I think, because, and, and I'll, I'll address this a little bit later in the episode, um, going on to sort of the social media aspect of sharing Indigenous culture, and so Concepts like fry bread and things like that are now things that a lot of non-Indigenous people are aware of 
and are sort of in on the joke of how sort of crucial this food staple is to the community and sort of just the the humor of of um of how it's presented at the time was sort of like it was a little in thing whereas now that we have more representation and more explanations we i think as non-indigenous people can look back and now see like oh it's even it's an even different meaning a, a, a whole different meaning now because it's like okay i guess i understand that that fry bread is important to you in a way but um you know like as my example that i gave i'm basing it off of my christian based idea of jesus feeding the masses as my frame of reference for that story um whereas perhaps it's it's going to be have a whole different meaning now for me as a 30 something person and having been exposed to way more indigenous culture in my life and saying like okay so now this joke about the fry bread means something completely different to me so i think that's important to say like how how the the content of the film can evolve with a new understanding of the things that are in the movie of the people that the the characters that are in the movie um and their motivation to do what they do and how the things that they discover about themselves it becomes it becomes more of a thing that you're both discovering than just you watching another person on screen play a person that isn't them either discovering something as a character in a movie and when the representation becomes as i said before something that you're now relating to it's that much more meaningful as as, as media it's that much more meaningful as as entertainment um it's not just some empty thing and i think that for a really long time um how indigenous people were portrayed in media it was very much the sort of like this it, the the idea of what an indigenous person is got passed through all these different like non-indigenous filters and through these like hollywood filters and has now <coughs> excuse me it now became something else so it's now time to sort of turn that idea around and do a 180 and say where has it been in the past that we have allowed those stereotypes and those false narratives to become what we as non-indigenous people and even and to a large extent indigenous people absorbing that and and internalizing a lot of that hatred and a lot of those stereotypes um where where do we all kind of stand on on what's real in terms of what is like what is the real representation going to look like when do they when do indigenous people get to own that for themselves like when do they get to take over that for themselves um so i want i want to go back to this variety article that i was going to read before that i kind of got sidetracked on um so this variety article um i'll i'll give you a few i'll give you guys a few statistics just to again provide some context 
um, in terms of why the conversation about Indigenous representation is still a very important one to have. So, um, it's basically a pretty well-known fact now that people of color in general um, have experienced very inaccurate and harmful portrayals of their, uh, and very, like, painted with a very broad brush, as it were, portrayals of their communities and culture. Um, Native people have had the least amount of representation and one of the more harmful representations, the more, most stereotypical and appropriated representations in media. Um, they either were not part of the conversation at all, altogether, or it was um, basically turned into uh, a lot of um, tropes and um, half-truths and just also just flat-out lies about Native people. And there's a, been a lot of work that's been done in the last few years to sort of um, change that. To, to, if, to I can't think of any other better way to say flip the script on um, the inaccurate, the very inaccurate um, sort of portrayals and perceptions, and also the just or or just the non-representation or erasure of Indigenous people in um, in media. So. Uh, in terms of, um, I already mentioned, you know, mascots of sports teams or logos of sports teams, um, things like that. And there's um, the Reclaiming Native Truth uh, study. It happened in 2018. So the person who wrote this article um, is Crystal Echo Hawk. So basically, um, the RNT study went through a whole bunch of different facts and statistics across different aspects of all of all life. Um, so they talked about you know police violence, education, uh, but they also you know referenced pop culture and media as well in the study. So um, Hollywood and the entertainment industry. Um, this was done in order to increase authentic representation and also hold um, Hollywood and other producers of media accountable for their portrayal of Indigenous people and what is what is and isn't appropriate and um, to try and undo some of that damage that's that's gone on over several decades, uh, several centuries. So um, here's some data from that study from 2018. Um, native inclusion of native characters in primetime television and popular film ranged from zero to zero point four percent, and there has been very little movement forward on this number. Uh, in twenty twenty, uh, University of California, Los Angeles also published the Hollywood Diversity Report. This also had content from 2018 and 2019. So they found uh, the numbers were uh, about the same. The range was about the same. Uh, represent representation was between 0.3 to 0.4%. Um, in 
to 0.5% in film. And in television, virtually non-existent. Um, it varied by network and varied by show and content of each specific show. Uh, so again, it could have been anywhere between 0% to 0.6%. Um, and men are being represented more than women in this case. Um, it's pretty much showing that at, it's, it's pretty much peaking at 0.6% and doesn't go above that that rate. It's pretty stagnant in terms of um, of acting roles. This is again, this is visual acting representation. Um, and at least in that sense that there is some sort of actual percentage that people can uh, record when it comes to cre other creative roles like writing and directing, basically nothing. Um, and uh, so you're seeing um, writing from non-native individuals or you're not seeing any writing which is leading to the creation of no new roles for native people that are created by native people or even at least informed by other native people. So um, it's saying here, I'm going to actually m mention these uh, shows and movies here. Um, there have been some uh, shows like Rutherford Falls Reservation Dogs, which I'm going to talk about. It was a really, really fucking good show. As well as um, Night Raiders and Wild Indian. Um, Run, Woman, Run is also really, really good. Um, Beans, I'm going to talk about that as well. Um, so this is, again, saying here we're, we're moving away from outdated, inaccurate, and often offensive depictions to something that's compelling, the characters are, are dimensional, uh, the portrayals are accurate, they're rooted in modern times instead of this like archaic idea, and they're informed by people who are not white. They're informed by actual other indigenous people, which is really important. And then they're also speaking to other intersectional parts of uh, culture that um, are still also issues in the indigenous community, such as queer representation and um, gender exclusion. So as I mentioned, again, women are not portrayed in a positive light if they're portrayed at all. Um, and we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, uh, just now, people talking about um, the existence of Two-Spirit in the Indigenous community and what that means uh, as it relates to a more westernized um, white idea of what queer culture is. So, um, again, it's not just the representation of, of seeing somebody on screen, but we're also moving towards the quality uh, of the representation. So. Um, looking for fully fleshed out roles and roles that are, um, you know, demanding some kind of change in casting and, 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 and change in the types of stories that are being told and who's telling them. So, um, uh, and if you're wondering who Crystal Echo Hawk is, um, they are the founder and executive director of Illuminative. 
So, um, they are also a member of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. So this is, again, based as a U.S. article, um, but it's a pretty recent article. It's from 2021, so I think it's a good piece of um, information to quote and cite in terms of, to, to sort of drive point the try from the point that the representation is still not anywhere close to where it should be. Uh, and compared to representation of other races and other cultures in media, um, it's suffered the most, arguably. And um, that comes from, that, that, that again, that, that representation is informed by political history. It's informed by, like, if you're not able to be represented in your own land... Uh, in politics and recognized by your fellow citizens and, and relegated to being less than a second-class citizen, then you're probably not going to see that representation in your media either. So it all it all makes sense. So with um, changes to the socio-political landscape, I would say that's directly related to where we're going to see more representation in media, for sure. And more representation that isn't... Um, a stereotype. So it's uh, just so just some context in terms of um, of what we're seeing uh, for some statistics, um, because up until very recently, um, I would say probably like the seventies, um, the portrayal of indigenous people, um, again, as I mentioned before, were we're not referring to them as native or indigenous or first nations or referring to them by their accurate, you know, um, tribal names, by their accurate, uh, territory names. We're, we're not portraying their style of dress accurately or where they even, even the, the structures that they live in accurately, um, where we have, um, filmmakers and writers feeding into the idea that native people are um, are savages and they're violent, and um, they're again like both their land as well as them as a people are there for conquest, and that's um, and, and then we've had this sort of like troubling sort of thing where it's like uh, they'll they'll kind of let things slide for like that one cool white person who manages to kind of like infiltrate and show that they're, that they truly understand the culture. Um, we also have like what, what they're, what they've done with a lot of other races and cultures is they're, they're basically downplaying or changing and rewriting a lot of historical facts to make it seem like the people who perpetrated the abuse and were the colonizers and the oppressors did not, were not as bad as they were. So you see that in a lot of um, Western movies. Um, you see that in um, retellings of Pocahontas, um, even her name. And everything from, from her name, her age, her her willingness and um, and consent, everything about about her story has been is basically been made up. Um, and we're just now finding out a lot of those stories we've been told as kids and that we kind of like assume about historical indigenous figures 
it's a lot of it is hasn't been told or it's been the history has been rewritten or omitted to make the colonizers look better um and then you kind of see this a lot with um with the whole residential school thing as well a lot of what happened there was was downplayed and swept under the rug and um, in Canada, anyway, there was a big um, push for this truth and reconciliation after um, several sites of former residential schools were investigated, and they found all sorts of atrocities there, including but not limited to um, unreported graves of hundreds and thousands of children. Um, so... Again, I, I never said this was going to be a, a super positive podcast. Um, this one might be a bit of a downer, but we've got to go there. And this is this is all going back to the idea of when you when you take agency away, it makes it harder and harder to have those tough conversations. Um, when you take away the agency to actually tell the truth from the start and replace it with a lie, it becomes, it becomes so, it becomes way more removed from itself and then becomes harder and harder for people outside of it who don't realize the whole time that it was a lie and were fed this, this propaganda to convince them as well. And so that's why it's so dangerous and why it's so important to, to stop with, with the cover-ups and to have an honest narrative um, but I also know that in terms of media, um, there's a big push away from making the alternative to the false representation a bunch of, like, um, abuse, um, a bunch of, like, suffering porn, uh, which I, I'm not a huge fan of, and I know that that's a big criticism as well. Like, um... For example, um, in terms of representation of black people, you've got a lot of movies that are focusing on slavery, which again, yes, we are accurately depicting movies about slavery and how terrible it was, but those movies very quickly turn into like some sort of weird fetish for people to watch and be like, oh no, I feel so terrible and bad about it. Look at me watching this movie and feeling terrible and bad about slavery. Good thing that that doesn't happen anymore, and I can just now watch this movie and go home. So that happens. So the, you feel like you've kind of done the work because you went to go see this terrible movie and felt bad for an hour. But also, it becomes a thing where now you've 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 descended into this trope of every single movie is now about the suffering of of a community. And nothing really all that positive is getting portrayed. Or you can't portray anything positive without having something negative take place. <coughs> and it's like such just in a very over-the-top way. So where's the balance? Is what, um, is what a lot of people want. So in terms of Indigenous representation, how do we make um, compelling media and speak to these issues, but also not turn it into a complete um, black hole of depression and um, focusing only on 
like we're gonna make everybody not only feel have a false sense of have this false sense of guilt and um and um absolution from letting them watch a bunch of movies about kids getting abused at residential schools and so that so you can watch a movie and just feel good about yourself after having watched it when you haven't actually done any real work but I don't want to get it also I I doubt I don't want to and I doubt a lot of indigenous people want to get into this as well is having every single movie be about their suffering um because there are a lot of good and positive things that can be said about um, their culture and their community, and that needs to be focused on as well. Um, so it, it's sort of um, going back to the whole comment about this uh, the sketch that I saw that, that sort of started off this whole idea for this podcast. It, it approaches the, the subject that no one wants to talk about, about um, reparations and land acknowledgement versus land return. And are we, nobody's really ready for the conversation that we should actually be having, which is like, when are we going to, like, land acknowledgements are all well and good, but when are we going to not just acknowledge the land, when are we going to actually give it back? And so that's, this is, this is a sort of delicate tightrope that, um, I think a lot of different cultures feel compelled to walk um but at the same time that i i feel like that results in a more authentic and informed piece of media so it's 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 something that maybe just has to happen because um where do you fall into as like a a, a marginalized minority community if you don't have a well-rounded sense of, of telling a story and showing identity. Um, so I think that it's, it's important to talk about the hardships and the things that people don't want to talk about, but I, I think it's important to approach them in a way that actually makes people think instead of pandering to emotions that people want to feel that are comfortable. Um, if that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> When I go back and watch this, I'll probably be watching this and be like, what the fuck was I talking about? But if that makes any sense, um, I, I hope, I hope that in some way did. Um, it, it's, it's basically like you want to have, you want to have the same natural progression of, of story. You want to have natural progression of concept, just like everyone else does being not white or like not falling into it like a cis heterosexual realm I don't think that that should then make you have to be like either a stereotype or a guilt trip for somebody and I, I think that it is it is possible to have more than two options available for representation um so I'll go back to this article here, and I'm going to just touch on a couple of the um, movies and TV shows that they mentioned in this article. And um, I believe Reservation Dogs was there, so I will start with that one. It's actually such a hilarious show, so it's in its second season. 
I've watched the first season. I haven't started the second one yet. Um, there's going to be some things that I have not actually watched myself personally, so just to let you guys know that. But um, it's on FX, so if you have Disney+, Plus, I believe you can watch it through Disney+. Plus. It's got a really good cast, great writing, it's super funny, um, it's really great visually, um, but it's also like a very um, kind of like gritty looking down to earth sort of show. And um, this is also um, produced by Sterling Harjo and my fave Taika Waititi. And, um, this was um, a show that came out in 2021. It's won a whole bunch of awards, and uh, I highly recommend that you check it out. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Taika Waititi, obviously you guys probably already know about, but um, I'll go over, <coughs> um, excuse me, just basically like a little bit about the creators of the show. So, Sterling Harjo uh, is um, from the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, and uh, so the show is set in Oklahoma as well. So, as somebody who is originally from that state, um, their personal um, experience uh, as a Native American in that state um, has very much informed the show and its content. Um... They also have a the feature film Four Sheets to the Wind, which uh, is mentioned in some quintessential um, Native movie watching. So I highly recommend that you check that one out as well. I'll go over that one as well. And um, now going to from a bunch of other different films uh, and different projects, um, as well as uh, Harjo being a founding member of the Native American comedy group, the 1491s, um, and uh, they are now working on Reservation Dogs with Taika, and this is um, the some of the awards that Reservation Dogs has won um, ha was uh, they were recognized at the Independent Spirit Awards as Best New Scripted Spe Series and Best Ensemble Cast in a New Scripted Series. And they also got, um, Harjo also has been, um, awarded from the Oklahoma area, um, for various, uh, writing awards and film awards. And, uh, of course, um, Taika Waititi, as we all know, um, has recently joined the Marvel franchises as the director and uh, occasional cameo appearance actor. Um, and they are also responsible for um, what we do in the shadows, um, Our Flag Means Death, um, Jojo Rabbit, which uh, stars, uh, it's, it's a black comedy which famously stars Taika Waititi as uh, Imagination of Adolf Hitler. And um, 
also appeared uh, in The Mandalorian as the voice character for Droid IG-11. And... Um... Uh, they were in, uh, what was that movie? Um, Guy, uh, what was that movie? With, um, fucking, what's his face? Free Guy. That's what it's called. Free Guy. I just watched that recently with him in it. And, um, Taika Waititi is, um, indigenous and white. Um, they're mixed race. Um, so... Uh, they all, there's also a Canadian, a little bit of Canadian on there in their heritage as well. Uh, Taika Waititi describes himself as a Polynesian Jew. Uh, they have um, both Maori and uh, from New Zealand as well as um, Russian Jewish heritage. So uh, basically, uh, Taika spent. Uh, was born Taika David Cohen, but through different um, returns to their culture and heritage, decided to uh, adopt uh, their last name of the Maori heritage, which is um, more traditional. And after gaining a bunch of different accolades for various writing, directing, and acting credits, um, uh, they worked on Flight of the Concords as well, which is one of my favorite shows. Um, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a really, really good movie, uh, which is about a young um, Indigenous boy who um, is placed with a family and sort of like the pitfalls and stuff that kind of happen after that. Um... And Taiko has now been working recently on the Thor movies. So they've directed a few different Thor movies in the last while, Ragnarok and uh, Love and Thunder. And what else can I say about Taiko Waititi without being, like, a thirsty fan? Um, yeah, that's pretty much... I think I got it all. Uh, oh, um... In the future, they are set to direct a live-action film adaptation of Akira, which I really hope he doesn't fuck up. And, um... Apparently going to co-write a live-action Star Wars film in the future. Uh... But anyway. Um... Let's focus a little bit more on, you know, uh... The indigenous side of things. So, um... Because of um, Taiko Waititi's um, dedication to incorporating Maori and Indigenous heritage into all sorts of different projects, um, they always try to include, you know, Indigenous, I guess, attachments or welcome to country, uh, which we would call a, a land acknowledgement. Um, and they are also trying to employ... Maori or Indigenous filmmakers, um, and Waititi's cousin is also very influential in producing and directing Maori language versions of Disney animated films, because Taika Waititi is now involved with Disney, which is really cool. And, um, 
in terms of uh, their, as someone who is biracial and um, as someone who, I guess, sort of understands the the concept of feeling like you kind of exist between multiple different different worlds at times, and um, sometimes taking your adulthood to kind of come to terms with what that means in terms of identity. Um, Taika Waititi is very relatable to me, um, in addition to just me appreciating him as a an artist and a filmmaker. Um, I really sort of respect the... because it can be very difficult for people to understand when you are mixed race or um, what a lot of people refer to as passing in, in various circles of race and culture, which is when you look white but aren't really. Um, so um, I think a l there, because of historically um, the, the history of, of abuse within, um, within the culture as well as just the um, it, it's, it's through, I think it's through a combination of, I guess, abuse and consensual activities that, that took place, but, um, it, it's basically like when, when you have to come to terms with the fact that you have been kind of uprooted from your way of life and then kind of put somewhere where you can only exist in that space, in that one tiny little box that people have put you in, that's a very real, re like, that's a reality for, for Native people. Like, they were, they were forbidden from, from engaging in a lot of things that were inherent to their, to their, their identity, and they were physically placed in very small spaces. So it's just, just both, both physically and in terms of you as a person, as well as just tangibly all the things around you, um, and the things that you can have access to and the things that you can celebrate are just so minimized or, or they're eradicated. Um, so we see that, I see that as a perspective of somebody growing up in Canada. Um, and it was a very similar situation in Australia and New Zealand. Um, it's something that, uh, you are as somebody who exists in both realms, trying to decide why everyone's kind of committed to hating you and not understanding you. Um, it's trying to make sense of whether or not you're, whether or not you're physically conventionally attractive, whether you're intelligent uh, or well-spoken, whether you are going to be given the same opportunities in terms of of jobs, in terms of romantic interests, in terms of, of, of fairness, in terms when it comes to the law. Um, and I feel that somebody, somebody like Taiko Atiti, who has managed to, um, respect and be true to both of the cultures that they come from is very admirable. Um, somebody that is like, 
looking towards how can I how can I show more of that side of my culture instead of hiding it away? Um, and then how can I, once I've now figured that out for myself and found that representation for myself, how can I now share it with others and get them in on the game? Because that's the whole thing, right? Once you get to the top and you have the power to make employment decisions and casting decisions and writing decisions, and uh, decisions of who is being treated fairly and equitably. That's, I think, the true mark of, of where the representation goes above and beyond. Because now we're seeing both Taika existing in the realms of, like, working on huge, big-budget blockbuster movies that are made by, like, humongous, monopolistic companies, but we're also seeing the smaller projects and the projects that are focusing on um, indigenous representation and oh and other and in a lot of other cases um, a lot of queer representation for in, in Taika Waititi's case as well um, so there's that too and uh, again something that I think uh, a lot of indigenous cultures uh, as far as I understand it was a lot more accepted to have a queer identity that fit into your native identity and that that is that the that people moving away from that is something that was very much influenced by colonialism and christianity so um that's something i think is important to note um where those representations sort of intersect but um yeah in terms of that taika is an interesting case because in terms of somebody who um, has probably had to contend with um, a lot of sort of dissonance in terms of how they grew up and, and the cultures that they existed within, but nobody really, people who just see a person at face value or just see a name, they don't care, a lot of people don't care about any of that. And then, and then everything that they do in terms of how they interact with you is based in a prejudice or a bias. Um when they may not realize, like, you know, like, I'm, I'm like you, so, like, why are you treating me that way? So that's something I've always kind of dealt with, and something that I, I really, that really resonates with me in terms of, um, somebody like Taiko Waititi, who is, um, is a kind of existing between two spaces, uh, and trying to find representation, um, not maybe not even consciously, but just trying to find representation not just for themselves, but for people like him. Because he's aware of the fact that if it was like it's hard for him coming up, and like they don't want that to be the same way for other people just because of the way someone looks or what someone's name is. You know what I mean? So. And considering that we have, that there is an increasing, it's, it's, it's happening slowly but surely, but because considering that there is an increasing um, ability for people's stories as indigenous humans to be told, there's really no excuse. So um, I think that's a really, really cool mark of um, where the, the allyship, like as somebody who, who is indigenous uh, or not, can be seen when you're taking the um, when you're when you're allowing other people to come sit at the table 
when you're making, when, when you realize, you know what, maybe I have to just make a new table and some new chairs to use that kind of getting played out, um, I guess, analogy. But it's, it's true. It's, it's very much like a lot of Indigenous people as artists, I think, realize that there was no chair for them for a very long time, that they were excluded from that, from that meeting. Um, so that's very much they had to kind of make it for themselves um, or reimagine an existing um, reality. So when it comes to representation um, in a positive way, um, and, and in terms of an influential way, I think that um, having Taika Waititi in the conversation is very important. Um, so back to res back to reservation dogs. Um, so reservation dogs basically. Um, uh, oh, so it's saying here that International Day of World's Indigenous Peoples is on August 9th. It said maybe that was just Canada's day was June twenty first. Maybe the international day is August 9th. Because it's saying here Reservation Dogs was released on August 9th. Um, that premiered on August 9th. And um, it's kind of positioned as a comedy, but there are dramatic parts to the show. Um, basically, it's about four teenagers. Um, they are kind of just like they're young, they're growing up on the reservation, they're basically having to hustle a lot to get certain things here and there um, to make their lives a little bit more enjoyable. Um, they're talking about um, what they're going to do when they get a little bit older and if they're going to stay or move away. Um, they, there's also a running thing where they just lost a friend um, and that is um, kind of this was a this was a plan that I it, they they kind of had with that friend and so now they are contending with the grief of losing this friend as well as the, wondering whether or not their plans are actually going to work out the way that they thought. Um, so as, as they're getting older, things are life's getting more complicated and you know things are changing. So it it helps to kind of watch the sh the the episodes in order. Um, and other than the four characters, uh, there are a few reoccurring characters. Um, one of them is Bobby Lee, which is pretty funny. He's, uh, one of the, um, primary physicians at the local clinic. Um, let's see who else I have here. Oh, there's like a, there's a, a local rap duo, uh, which are played by, um, real rappers. And, um, they're also kind of like the, the res gossip mill, the rumor mill. Um, so Moe's and Mecco. And, uh, also, um, William Knifeman, William Spirit, a.k.a. Spirit, who is a self-proclaimed warrior, uh, who died at the Battle of Little Bighorn, even though he didn't actually really 
do any fighting. I believe his his horse like fell on top of him or something and he died. Um and uh let's see here. Yeah. Um Bill Burr makes a guest appearance. So there's like a few there's like a few big um there's a few big people in the show that kind of show up. Uh Mark Marin shows up at one point. Um So yeah. And um basically uh it's got a sort of like documentary style filming sort of approach a little bit. Um but it's also got sort of like cinematic elements, right? So like the whole the whole um title of the show Reservation Dogs is supposed to be uh a play on sort of the the movie um Reservoir Dogs and how the four of them are sort of embodying the different a few of the different characters from Reservoir Dogs. So um this is sort of like more addressed in the first episode um when they're mourning their friend and they're now um they're they kind of are referred to as the res dogs or reservation dogs and uh there's some there's you know there's like different um appearances of things that could be considered i guess sort of native stereotypes but um my sort of opinion is like if if it's a if it's a person from that community commenting on the stereotype then it's it's a little bit more well informed um than somebody from the outside commenting on a stereotype because it's it's often that that person is just hearing that from someone someone or somewhere else and really has no fucking idea what they're saying um but like for example there's there's references to different things like um uh you know, the, the medicine, like, elders selling traditional medicines, um, the Indian mafia, uh, native weed, fry bread, um, basically, um, referencing certain things like, uh, you know, like, spirit guides, um, and then into season two, uh, basically, um, the gang kind of gets split up a little bit, um, and they also talk about the, um, the, uh, the significance of the ante in, uh, native culture, um, so they have, like, a, a an episode with, uh, the aunties, and, um, which I'm going to kind of touch on a little bit more as I get into sort of the social media side of things. Um, so these sort of concepts uh, within indigenous culture are only things that we as like sort of outsiders to that culture are becoming aware of now. Um, with shows like Reservation Dogs and um, and different movies and, and things like uh, TikTok and stuff like that is kind of bringing terminology and, and concepts from the indigenous community to the forefront. Um, so that's kind of something that is 
uh, I want to talk about basically because um, uh, that's sort of going into the whole thing about TikTok as a as a problematic app in general um, in terms of of appropriation of of certain things from indigenous culture and, and appropriation of certain terms and things like that. Um, but I'll go back to some of the other um, some of the other shows that they are recommending here to uh, look out for, and uh, kind of just give you guys a sense of some other examples of good things to watch, some good examples of um, of uh, indigenous led content. Um, let me just go back to my list here. So one of the other um, Where is it here? Here we go. Rutherford Falls is the other show that they have linked here. So I'm just going to go to that really quick. And what's important is that both of these examples are not only critically acclaimed, but um, native focused in terms of casting as well as written and directed and produced. Um, so just driving home the whole idea that it's that it's now becoming a thing where it's it's more normalized to have um, full ownership of of the type of media that's being put out, and it's not uh, it's not going into the hands of someone who is now telling your story secondhand, as it were. Um, now Rutherford Falls, it says here that. Um, it's been cancelled, unfortunately, but, um, again, it's sort of a similar idea, single camera comedy series, so kind of like a doc style, um, or no, sorry, there was two seasons. And, uh, just as a shout out, uh, one of my professors from York, Michael Gray Eyes, is in this show, so, uh, yeah, shout out to uh, to York University and uh, my um, my theater one of my theater professors, who is a um, very acclaimed actor and makes an appearance in the show. So uh, I have not seen the show yet, but it says here it's got great reviews. Um, it is the show makes a point to hire multiple Indigenous writers and performers as part of the production team, including people from Navajo, Sisseton, Wapiton, Dakota, Cheyenne River, Lakota Sioux, and Plains Cree. Um, so Ed Helms, who you may recognize from uh, the Hangover movies, um, actually helped to produce and co-create the series. And... Um, Helms worked with multiple people uh, in association bleh, in association with Universal Television Pic uh, and uh, Fremulon. And basically, Rutherford Falls um, and uh, there's actually uh, a line from the show from Terry Thomas, who is played by Michael Gray, Gray Eyes, and it says here. Um, before our show, 
Native representation was, for the most part, a hate crime. Uh, so, um, apparently Rutherford Falls has gotten a 100% Rotten Tomatoes score in the second season. Um, so I'm, I'm very confused then why it's getting fucking cancelled, but okay. Um, anyway. Just reading this is getting me excited to watch it. Um, it's sort of following, um, lifelong friends to give you sort of a general idea of, um, the, the concept of the show. It's about four friends from different backgrounds, um, and they're, these, these friends are finding themselves, uh, when their sleepy town gets an unexpected wake-up call in the form of, um, the removal of the statue of an ancestor of one of the friends, but the other friend is now campaigning against the protests to keep this, the statue up, saying that this person was known for um, being uh, responsible for colonizing and brutalizing her people during the founding of the town. So, um, yeah, great, great um, hot-button issue to start the show off with, because that was very much... Um, something that was in the news for a while. Um, there were, there were several stories about the dismantling of various statues of, um, founders uh, across Canada, the U.S., England, um, because they're, the statues that were erected are basically of people who founded the town by taking it away from the original inhabitants, more or less and whatever other things that they did in the course of making that happen. So, a lot of people are of the opinion that that's not really something that in 2020 to 2022 we should be supporting. Um, this also led to the renaming of a lot of prominent places in Canada and the U.S. Um, to take away from uh, the original... Uh, people that they were named after who uh, more often than not were colonizers uh, of some kind. And so in the sense of Rutherford Falls basically being um, exactly, may or may not exactly be just like your small town um, and just an interesting um, commentary on on, on tough issues that I think a lot of people went through, uh, whether you're Indigenous or not. Um, but especially, you know, this is the same sort of story that Indigenous people and um, people of colour have kind of gone through for time. Sort of like, we have to have these these hard conversations with with people and with ourselves constantly and then some people, it seems around us, it just seems like they're they're just finding out about this stuff. And then once they found out, it's like why the decision to be the better person isn't isn't easy. Like why the decision to just take the statue down isn't just the simple solution. Um, and we we see these we see these arguments and debates in in a lot of different places, right? Like uh, the whole critical race theory thing. Um, because heaven forbid you want to 
teach people about the real history of of indigenous people and how their land was occupied and the real the real deal behind all of that among other things to do with race theory because it's too uncomfortable for the descendants of the people who did the oppressing they don't want to hear about it um and so i think that a show like this it's very interesting as it speaks to where does the conflict arise in terms of what I mentioned before, like everyone ignoring and allowing that propaganda to go on for so long. And then when you're finally confronted with the hard truth that that needs to change or go away, it's so ingrained in people's minds for no other reason that it's just, that's just the way it's always been. But then you've also got all the, you know, low-key racists, not so low-key racists and bigots who then come out and say, why is everyone making a big deal out of this? This happened such a long time ago. I didn't have anything to do with this. Um, everyone's just complaining. It wasn't that bad, etc. So, in, uh, and, I, and then, uh, it, I won't go through all the different, I haven't actually seen the show myself, so I won't go through all the different episodes of Rutherford Falls, but um, to start a, to start a show off with that sort of um, difficult um, situation for for like lifelong friends, and then to then have to come to terms with um, what do you stand for, what do you stand up for, and who do you stand up for, and do, are or do you only stand up for things because that's like your ancestor? Maybe some of our ancestors were not on the right side of history, you know. Um, I can, I can honestly say a lot of my ancestors weren't, and, um, and some of them were, but a lot of them weren't, you know, and, um, where does it, where does it become just a debate of, like, this is my preference, and this is my opinion, and then where does the debate become, like, if I disagree or agree with a certain thing, that's, that's me basically telling the people in front of me that I don't give a shit about you or your rights or any of the things that happened to you in the past and I just rather ignore it or pretend it didn't happen because it makes me feel icky and I don't want to feel that way. I'd rather not feel icky than, than make you feel valued is, is a lot of the, is a lot of what the conversation becomes. Um, I've had to cut off a lot of people in the last few years because of, because just not realizing how, what people are like, because I don't talk to them often enough, or, or just a, either that or just a situation didn't come up yet in my life that brought out what they really think, and and revealed to me what I should have known about them the whole time. So with the with the cultural climate changing, the political climate changing, and the actual climate changing, <laughs> and um, all of these things sort of coming to a head, I think that it's basically, there. it's unavoidable having these conversations now, and yet people still want to try and gloss over important issues. Um, and in that conversation, a lot of issues pertaining to um, authority that indigenous people have over their land, over their their resources, 
um, over their ability to practice their culture. And all of these things are constantly being undermined by the way the rest of us live our life and in also in the way that we uphold patriarchy, white supremacy, um, destroying the environment, um, among other things. So it's something that, um, with a show like, with a show like Rutherford Falls, I think it, it, it's possible that it's, the critical acclaim is one thing and the, and the, it's just the, in terms of finding the critical acclaim in two different ways, right? So we have Reservation Dogs, which focuses a lot on, on like just the, within the indigenous community and just focuses up within that, you know, that neighborhood, that reservation, their lives. In this situation, you have that, but you also have, how is that then influenced by the relationships that you form with people from outside your culture? And is there going to always be a constant baseline of them not understanding you? And, and whether directly or indirectly, consciously or subconsciously, are they always going to be actively working towards your downfall as a person, as a, as a, as a community? So I think that's, again, important, like watching it as an ally and, and actually listening and hearing um, the language and the, the facts and the, the behaviors that need to change, um, which I think is really important in a show like this. It's showing to not just go along with things because that's the way they've always been. Um, and realizing that, that how, to what degree has, has a certain person's way of life been made as comfortable as possible and where that came at the expense of somebody else, which then resulted in one, one side never having to ever think about anything difficult and the other person having to then shoulder and take on the burden of two different cultures. So that's what I find very interesting about certain um, angles that different shows take to, to bring this representation to the forefront. Um, again, a very brilliant example of kind of not just, um, not just putting that content out for the indigenous crowd, but also putting it out for, for, you know, anybody who isn't indigenous to really not just get a glimpse into, um, into a culture that isn't theirs, but to really put the microscope back on their own, on, on your own culture as a non-native person and kind of see if there are any, you know, misgivings and shortcomings there. Uh, and to not just sort of dig your heels in and go, um, and go and say that you know best or that, or that history is infallible in terms of, of, of uh, everything that happened. It, it, there's, it's just, it is what it is or, or there was no negativity and just downplay, um, you know, those hard truths. So again, another fantastic recommendation that I think you guys should check out. I'm going to be checking it out for sure. Um, there's a couple more that I wanted to, um, mention quickly before my, 
before my phone dies. And um, I'm going to take a little break before I continue with the, uh, the other recommendations and just touch on the TikTok thing briefly because uh, I'm just noticing the time here. Um, I am going to, you know, try to keep this episode within two hours. Um, and I'm already feeling like we're almost at that point. So I'm just going to uh, go to the TikTok part of it and um, then go back to a couple more res um, recommendations for movies and, so, yeah, for movies and music. So TikTok. Um, so if you, have, if you have been on TikTok, then you will know of the phenomenon known as native TikTok. And um, I'm just going to try and find the article that I was reading regarding this. Uh, so within TikTok, there are different um, different niches and different um, kind of genres that have sort of and subgenres that have sort of created themselves um, over time as you go through TikTok. Um, so you've got um, queer TikTok, you've got witch TikTok, you've got... Um, You've got like, I don't know, Jimbro TikTok. You've got, um, you've got frog TikTok, if you like frogs. There's pretty much a, there's pretty much a genre for everyone, a subgenre for everyone. Um, so it's basically, um, a phenomenon that has come up through TikTok that there is now the existence of native TikTok uh, or indigenous TikTok. Um, so this would cover uh, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and uh, different um, communities from and different nations from all over North America and around the world. So if you go to Google and you type in native TikTok, discover native TikTok's popular videos, it'll pretty much give you kind of a, I guess, a list of popular creators. Um, you know, autistic people not having empathy is such a common assumption. I'm trying to find one that I can kind of play for you guys here. One thing about me is my mom is a Mexican immigrant, and when I was... I'm trying to find... Yeah, that's uh, it's, just play, it's just playing, like, random... It's just playing random videos. Hold on. I thought it was going to take me to the actual, like, list of videos. Oh, here. Let's just read this. Um, you can also find videos through hashtag native TikTok, hashtag native family, um, where basically um, this will bring you to, like, all the videos that are made by indigenous creators and artists. But, um, through Indigenous TikTok, um, we're learning people who are not Indigenous are now kind of being, um, welcomed into, uh, sort of the world of, uh, you know, native, I guess, uh, terms, phrases, and cultural significant, culturally significant, um, actions. Um... So some of my favorite native TikTokers are Sheena Nova. So Sheena Nova is an Inuit TikToker. And um, 
they do a lot of um, uh, videos about um, traditional uh, Inuit um, hunting, fishing, and preparation of food. Um, they've talked a, a lot about um, their tribal, their their traditional ta face tattoos, as well as um, throat singing, that they um, are a trained throat singer, and post a lot of videos about that. Um, there was another one. Um, where is... Basically, um, there's a lot of, a lot of them that I follow are actually Canadian, which is really good too. Um, I'm trying to find all the Canadian ones. Notorious Cree, that's the other guy that I follow. Notorious Cree is, um, a trained powwow dancer. And, um, they post, uh, basically videos in a lot of them, like going to powwows in the traditional powwow attire. And um, showing the different types of dances that you can do, that you can perform um, as part of your uh, dance performances. Uh, it's just a really, really cool TikTok account in terms of um, just like the, the the regalia is just really cool. And um, just to kind of get a sense of like where the different dance moves come from, they're all like, they're all kind of based on um, referencing nature which is really cool. Um, so you have kind of through that, uh, Sherry McKay. Sherry McKay is another TikToker that I follow. Um, uh, Sherry does a lot of um, uh, videos about um, traditional beadwork um, as well as uh, just like a comedy, just like a kind of a native comedy account. Um, Indigenous Baddie is another really good account to follow. Um, uh, another really good account for, um, f to see traditional, um, garb for powwows and, uh, events and stuff like that. They post a lot of, um, handmade, um, uh, clothing and, uh, accessories. And, um, uh, actually, I believe that the the ocean spray guy, if you guys remember the ocean spray guy, <laughs> who was, uh, who, the, the Fleetwood Mac Dreams ocean spray guy, um, I believe he is native as well. <laughs> I just, this just reminded me of him. Um, anybody who, if, even if you ha don't have TikTok, if you weren't living under a rock, you'll probably remember that guy. Um... I'm just going to look up, I want to say his, his TikTok handle is dogface something. I'm just going to look it up really quick. Hold on. Um, yeah, dogface208. So dogface208, you better have a Wikipedia account, I swear to God. <laughs> his name is Nathan Apodaca. And he, uh, his original handle was 420dogface208. Fucking icon. Um, they gained popularity by, um, jumping on a skateboard and, uh, going down the street listening to Fleetwood Mac while drinking some ocean spray. Um, 
which is kind of cool. And um, just from doing that, and I think the story behind that was that they were um, they were they they couldn't get a ride to work, so they just took their skateboard or something. And that video blew up in a major way. There were a ton of copycats. Um, Nathan Apodaca uh, from Idaho. They said Wyoming here as well. And um, interestingly, they made an appearance on Reservation Dogs. <laughs> so if you need if you need a reason to go watch the second season, uh, Nathan Apodaca is in Reservation Dogs, which is actually really funny to me. I'm just going to assume that they do some kind of skateboarding while drinking some cranberry juice, but, um, it's, it's possible, it's possible they might have him actually do something else. It, it always sucks to get typecast. Um, but that's actually, actually great. Good, good little, little tie in there. Um, so there are a lot of other creators that I, I, I won't go over now, but basically if you go, uh, there's a couple other that I'm thinking of, uh, there's Jamie Cloud, there's um, Brett Stoyce. Um, there's a whole bunch of different people that I follow on TikTok. And um, so basically my, my point for mentioning this is um, TikTok is a great little short form way to um, absorb this sort of um, interaction with indigenous culture. Um, I think it's a really great method to get information to people. Um, who have notoriously short attention spans. Um, and in terms of what I was kind of mentioning, in terms of representation, having balance between, like, the serious and the and the humorous, I think that TikToks generally are pretty good for that. Um, because, I, and I think that's a very effective way to get information to people, is by presenting it in, a, in an accessible and relatable way. Um, that, that isn't always off-putting, right? And, uh, it also is just a really good, like, sort of informal way to introduce different sort of cultural elements, um, that Indigenous people live with. Um, for those of you who may have watched some of these TikToks, you may now be familiar with certain slang terms like deadly, um, or, uh, things like that, um, uh, ever sick, terms like that, um, a weenuk, stuff like that, like, I'm, I'm learning, like, little terms and things like that by watching these videos, um, and, uh, learning about, uh, you know, different, um, like, again, things that could be considered native stereotypes, like, uh, like the whole aunties and uncles thing, um, uh, snagging is another slang term that is, uh, associated with that as well. Um, there's, there's, like, little things that, so going, going back to sort of my, the point I was trying to make about when representation being, um, consumed by someone who isn't Indigenous, whether or not that becomes appropriation or not, um, we've definitely seen on TikTok uh, a good appreciation of people who are putting this information out there, but I think we're also seeing what happens a lot with black culture, where we're seeing people use a lot of these terms, 
like how in the black community everybody says like oh they ate that or uh, period or whatever now and or like that's cap or, or whatever and these are all terms that came from the black community or from rap music and now everybody uses them um it's not i don't think it's as much of a thing with with native culture but it's definitely something that i have heard um and i can definitely for myself saying these things and having to kind of restrain myself as well as hearing other people say it and knowing that it's like you heard that shit from tiktok and like you probably like aren't native and probably shouldn't be saying that shit but it's also like so so it's kind of hard for me to sort of like i i laugh at these tiktoks and i think that they're hilarious um and i'm i'm definitely on board with um any sort of exposure to anybody else's culture like i'm i'm always open to those sorts of things i love learning and educating myself on things i don't want to be an ignorant person as much as possible i i do try to to um to respect instead of being a culture vulture if you want to use that term um so i guess that's what i what i'm trying to get at here is that when you're when you're absorbing uh media this happens a lot through like visual mediums um you are running the risk of appropriating in a different way so you're not exactly appropriating with wearing the with with wearing like a headdress or or like putting up a dream catcher or something like that that is like now clearly been um identified pretty much across the board as uh offensive if you're not uh indigenous to do but now the appropriation's happening in a different way. Uh, so we're, people are saying, like, using all these terms, like, uh, like, that's deadly or whatever, um, or I'm gonna snag, or, or they're gonna get folded or whatever. And, uh, basically, like, uh, it, it's 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 language and terminology and slang that's like pretty specific to to a culture, right? S same with with everyone using like all these other slang terms that came from specific race or a specific like neighborhood of a of a specific city or something, and now it's kind of gotten out into the mainstream. So there's a there's a positive there in terms of we're now learning about different you know. Um, linguistics and different uh, different cultural and social terms that we would never have found out about without things like TikTok. But now we've have we have we just created one more way for us to appropriate someone else's culture. It sort of yes that has happened. So I think that in in approaching certain things in terms of like especially in terms of the original content that independent creators are putting out there and may not be getting financially compensated for so it's the added insult to injury of you appropriating 
but also not financially compensating somebody. And now you have kind of taken a piece of their culture and are using it all the time. And where, what benefit have they gotten from it? So that's something to, to consider as well. The idea that you've got this whole app at your disposal with like hundreds of thousands of videos up. And then what do we do with this information? Do we, do we steal again? Do we disrespect again? Or do we try to do better? Do we try to say, you know what, that was your creation. That was your thing. Native TikTok is yours. And I can be back here respecting and giving my props and not really involving myself any more than that. Because, you know, ultimately that's not, that, that, that's a cultural experience that isn't mine. So, um, uh, oh, and of course, one of my favorite TikTokers, which I, I can't believe I didn't, I almost didn't mention them, uh, Chelazon LaRue. So Chelazon LaRue, if you don't know who that is, um, is a two-spirit creator on TikTok. And, uh, they're very famous for their, um, like, native anti-makeup tutorials. And, um, their drag transformations. So, Chelazon LaRue actually appeared on the latest season of Canada's Drag Race. And I think they were kicked off far too soon, in my opinion. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I thought that they were absolutely fucking hilarious. And, um, that's the other thing, too, that, again, I have to be a little bit careful with. And something that I think also may be come out as a product of the appropriation side of TikTok. Um, I find myself drawn to accents and wanting to do accents. Um, and the, like, I guess stereotypical Canadian like native accent is no different. Um, however, I'm, I'm not stupid and I, I really like as much as I want to do it because I love accents and I love doing them. Uh, I need to understand that from the perspective of like literally everyone else around me, it comes off as being incredibly racist. So, um, but yeah, that's another, another part that I need to mention because, um, Chalazan LaRue has pretty thick, accent um and it's it's something that i've noticed with um with different creators so like there's a certain like voice vocal cadence a certain accent that a lot of native people have and um there's a lot of videos actually that address this on tiktok of um there's been sort of a an idea throughout history of like how native people sound and um well, so whether or not there's actually, you know, like the invented, fabricated version of how native people sound versus the real version. Um, if you're not native, I guess, sounding like that when you don't actually sound like that would, to me, be the equivalent of like, if you're not actually from that area and don't actually also sound like that, it would be like the equivalent of like adopting a black scent to me. Um, so, so yeah. 
Um, that's a whole other thing that I, I didn't really think about, but something that I have an issue with and that I, I think other people may be um, kind of uh, cherry-picking from in terms of, uh, you know, certain um, stereotypes that they're, that they're putting on and thinking that maybe it's, uh, it's, you know, trying to honor a video when it may actually not be honoring a video. It could actually be, like, acting in an extremely offensive way. Um, oh, the rain just started again. That sounds nice. So, basically, um, when it comes to Chellas on LaRue, uh, Chellas on LaRue, I wanted to mention because they are, um, they're a good example of representation for the queer community when it comes to Indigenous people. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's been a, um, the addition rec in, in recent years of the concept of two-spirit um, in the Indigenous community. So, um, to try and explain it the best I can with, like, I know it's probably not going to be exactly accurate because um, I, I'm not from, again, as I said, I'm not from that community, so I don't know exactly if I will be explaining this, but I'll, I'll do the best I can based on what I found online. So, um, Two-Spirit is, um, a concept within, uh, Indigenous communities, um, and, uh, you see this in a lot of, um, a lot of communities that still retain, uh, any cultural, um, individualism apart from white Western Christian culture. You will, you will often see this gender expression still um, alive to this day. Um, it's a term that basically acknowledges that a person has within them uh, an expression of both a man and a woman. Um, so it is um, the creation of the term um, a lot of people uh, attribute it to actually um, it's it's an it's from an Anishinaabe term meaning two spirits. So um, in the 1990s, it was kind of brought up as an idea uh, in English to sort of explain the concept of the existence of um, this two-spirit individual, um, it, it's considered sort of a third gender in a lot of communities. And um, basically, yeah, it refers to somebody who identifies as having both the, the spirit or energy of both masculine and feminine within them. Um, it, so a lot of indigenous communities, it, this is the term that they use to describe somebody who is not binary or who is not heterosexual or cisgender. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a large term. It's not exactly gay or transgender, um, but it's, um, it, it can also be just used to describe same-sex attraction. Um, 
And because a lot of uh, certain indigenous um, languages don't have a term to identify same-sex attractions, and many indigenous languages don't have actual, like, as far as I'm reading here, and this is uh, from um, lgbtqhealth.ca. Uh, so this article about two-spirit communities, it's basically explaining that, like, the term two-spirit is kind of, it's based on the term that they use in in one specific language of one ter- one um, nation of indigenous people. There are other terms that are similar, but it's like a different way of saying it in other nations for the same idea. And um, because, and, and it's, it's sort of an all-encompassing term because some, it's saying here, some indigenous traditions don't have words for gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, pan, whatever. And a lot of that is because most, in, a lot of indigenous languages, it's saying here, is a verb-focused language. So it's describing people's actions, what they do, not or not really how they identify. So when we're saying two-spirited, uh, it's like what you are is kind of like how you, like what's going on inside of you actively. It's not really just a noun identifier of a la- or like a label. It's it's really more of um, an explanation of like someone's behavior. They're behaving as if they have the spirit of, of man and woman. Um, so I hope that that makes sense, and I hope that I did the explanation justice. And there's probably a lot that's still missing there. Um, there's some cited sources here at the bottom that were used to create this definition, um, such as the um, Aboriginal... This is um, directly from the Aboriginal Two-Spirit LGBTQ Migration Mobility Health Research Project. Uh, The Health and Safety Issues for Aboriginal Transgender Two-Spirit People in Manitoba, uh, Reclaiming Space, Regaining Health, The Healthcare Experiences of Two-Spirit People in Canada and resources from the Two-Spirit Roundtable discussion series. Uh, this was this article was created in conjunction with the U of T uh, School of Public Health and CAMH. So uh, it's, it's fairly legit. Um, again, this is uh, written both in... Keeping in mind this is written with the language and um, sort of medical... Uh, references of both Western culture and with um, with input from the First Nations community. So um, we, we've got, again, both sort of ideas and concepts of what gender sexuality is informing the term, right? Um, it's not really something that's ever going to be truly able to be explained in Western terms because it's just as a concept, it's just not really something that is is exactly the same in in all different cultures um but they do have other cultures that do recognize the existence of this third gender which does encompass both genders more or less um so um Chalazan LaRue and many other people identify as two-spirited and um it's it's a, just basically kind of a way of of 
you know, kind of reclaiming your queerness, but within the framework of being indigenous. And um, there have unfortunately been a lot of situations where um, indigenous communities have had to come back to that sense of inclusion when it comes to the queer community, because there is a lot of um, discrimination against queer people in indigenous communities. Um, even though there is the existence of this two-spirited um, type of person, and there, I'm, I'm sure that since you know, since the beginning of time, there's been acknowledgments of of queer people within communities. Um, as mentioned before, that was very much um, discouraged because of uh, the Im the imposition of Christianity and colonialism. Um, the um, behaviors and actions of people within these communities, it was a lot less free and a lot more restricted under the expectations of um, Christian religion, Catholic religion, and um, morality of the oppressor. So not a lot of room for a, a queer discussion in that up until, again, very recently. So it goes without saying that there is going to be some suffering within the Indigenous community in terms of that. Um, so we have shows like like Drag Race. We've got different um, different uh, shows that are coming out now, which are now drawing attention to the existence of queerness within an indigenous space and the existence of two spirited and queer expression, um, and that that does have a place in the representation. On top of so now again, you've got these sort of intersections compiling. You've got um, now having to deal with the representation of now being native, but also the representation of not being straight or not being cis um, or not following a, a monogamous relationship path or what have you. Um, uh, and in wanting to explore that, you're now going to have backlash from the, uh, the white people, Western community, as well as your own people. So in terms of um, representation, uh, I guess I'll, I'll throw Drag Race on there. Um, so there's obviously criticisms about RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, say what you will about it. Um, however, Canada's Drag Race, um, there's been several queens on there who have been um, I think there's been so many people who we have representation now for that are native on the Canadian version, which is really cool. Um, so uh, one thing I'm proud about in terms of Canada's Drag Race is bringing, bringing that Indigenous representation to the forefront, because um, you don't really see it in any of the other, in any of the other um, versions of Drag Race, right? It's it's very a specific to Canada phenomenon that I've noticed through the franchise. So if you're talking about like specific areas of media and where there may be more representation for a certain group, that's a good example, I guess. Um, cause yeah, to be honest, like, I don't think you're going to see maybe, maybe on the Australia version, if they have like somebody indigenous on Australia drag race, drag, whatever it's called down under RuPaul's drag race down under, I think it's called. Um, that's the only other example I can think of that they would have Native people on the show. 
and like nor- like the American version, you would think they'd have a lot more, but it's the Canadian version that has it. So there's um yeah, there's something to be said for you know like the some of those statistics are now you know they're they're coming to light. They're you're you're talking about okay, I can see now that you're going now from within even the same show, the same franchise, this version of it has like 50% of 25 to 50% of the show with representation. I'll maybe a little less than that. I think I'm being too generous, but um, depending on the season to of like how many seasons of, of the American version of drag race there have been. And I can't think of like a single person who was native, like maybe Trixie Mattel, and and I think they're like half, so like that's literally the only person that I can think of. Which whereas like, um, uh, Ilona Verley is another person on Drag Race that's native. Um, uh, and um, there's two other people whose names are escaping me now, but I know for a fact are native on Canada's Drag Race. And then there's like a couple other people who I know are, for a fact are like at least half. So. Um, and then on, um, Drag Race Down Under, there's, um, there's some, like, indigenous representation there. Um, unfortunately, those contestants always end up getting kicked off first, so it's hard to say, like, you know, we don't really get to see them go very far in the show. Uh, that's been a, that's been spoken to as well, I believe. Um, I will go down that rabbit hole right now, but anyway. So, um... I guess so just going from, from the TikTok mention into the, uh, into the whole, uh, back to TV and stuff like that. Um, it's, uh, you've got people who are getting fame or, or once they get fame, they're kind of keeping it going through these social media options as well. So we're seeing both the represent, representation taking place in already existing forms of media like film and television and music, but now we're also seeing uh, social media taking over and allowing that to really flourish, which is really cool to see. Not like, as I said, not without its problems, but still something that's very, a really cool thing to see in terms of um, like how the information gets spread so fast to like so many more new people than ever before. So once you get the representation, in a way, it's almost it's really good because it's once you actually get it, it can spread so much further and so much bigger than it used to be. So that's a really cool benefit of social media that I guess indigenous representation can sort of take note of is that it's once the represent once the representation's like cemented, you can then use your social media presence to reach so many more fans and and, um, you know, people that might still be out there thinking that they don't have any representation because they don't see anybody like them. Now it's so much easier to, to turn on your computer or your TV or listen to a song and hear that representation. And it's just so much more powerful. Um, when, one movie that I wanted to mention, um, I mentioned Smoke Signals. I mentioned a couple TV shows. Um... There's one other movie that I wanted to mention um, 
that just came out recently that um, got a lot of uh, press for um, Native representation, and that's Prey. Uh, Prey is a recent movie that's based on the uh, Predator franchise. So uh, Predator is a science fiction movie franchise. Um, basically, uh, it's like the Predator is like a is like a highly intelligent, super strong extraterrestrial sort of entity, and um, I guess it's it's had a lot of reiterations. I think it's saying here this is the fifth. The fifth Predator movie, like, uh, standalone Predator movie, um, there were two Alien vs. Predator movies that came out, crossover movies, um, and there was a bunch of video games, um, so basically Prey is, um, very significant in 2022. Um, it's a, so it's a prequel to the first four films. And the movie revolves around a skilled Comanche warrior striving to prove herself as a hunter. And she then has to help protect her people from the vicious humanoid alien known as the predator that hunts humans for sport as well as the fucking colonizers. So now not only do you have to fight an alien, you got to fight the fur traders who are destroying all your buffalo. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot of there's a lot of evil to fight in this movie. Um, so we have uh, it's uh, it's on Disney Plus as of now. So you can go watch it right now if you have Disney Plus. And um, it's got a lot of positive critical reviews. Um, it, not only just the, the movie in general, the the action sequences, the performance, uh, the direction, um, but everyone's hailing the indigenous casting choices as like just spot on and long overdue, and just um, something that is giving a lot of native actors work as well as representation for the native community. Um, as we know, a lot of action movies don't really involve Native people. Uh, as I think I mentioned earlier on in the beginning of the episode, most of that historically has been through Westerns. And, uh, the, we all know how Native people get portrayed in those, generally. <coughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Basically, um... Oh, cool. So, oh, Billy Soul is a Native American tracker and scout played by Sonny Lantham in the original Predator. And um, Billy Soul is a re reincarnation of Tabe, who is in the movie as, uh, in the movie Prey, as Naru's brother, another skilled hunter. Um, his last stand with that film's Predator was due to subconscious memories of a past life. Oh, sh there's a, yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, 
historical accuracy. Um, during the film's production, there were... <laughs> this reminds me of that... Who fucking said that? Binders of binders of women? Was that Mitt Romney? I want to say it was Mitt Romney. Anyway, I don't know. Binders. There were binders. Binders of reference material. Um, but these were good binders. These were, like, actually helpful binders that actually existed. Um, so... Because they wanted the movie to be as period accurate as possible, um, they wanted to make sure that they had um, accurate accurate um, clothing. They wanted to make sure they had accurate village setting, hunting lifestyle, horses, the proper depiction of the French trappers. Um, the, uh, the accurate accurate to the culture of, of the roles for men and women and children and the elderly. Um, this um, movie, Prey, actually began development during the 2008 film, The Predator. So it's been in talks since 2018. So this, this is a, a very big project. Um... It was a it was initially under wraps in 2019. Uh, then they restarted it. Um, then COVID happened. A bunch of stuff took place. Um, and filming took place primarily in Calgary, in the Stony Nakoda First Nation land. And, um, John A. Myers, a member of both the Comanche Nation and the Blackfeet Nation, served as a producer on the film. Very cool. And anything else? Um, oh, I was gonna, I was thinking about the doggo. So... Uh, there is a doggo. There is a specially trained doggo adopted and trained specifically for the film. <coughs> and the idea of giving Naru a dog companion was inspired by Mad Max 2. Uh, in terms of language, they discussed um, about... They, so they decided to shoot the movie in English and then later dub it in Comanche... Uh, the entire cast performed an alternate all-Comanche dub of the film. Wow. Wow. And, uh, the musical score, um, was composed by, uh, the same person who helped compose Assassin's Creed, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and, um, so it's going to really feel kind of like you're immersed in a, a, a video game, I guess, when you watch the movie. Again, I haven't watched it yet. Um, this is making it, this is making me very excited to watch it. And, um, unfortunately, as I mentioned Prey, the other reason I wanted to bring up Prey is that what's happening with a lot of, um, movies that are coming out with uh, representation that uh, is not of a certain type, there will be some haters. 
and um, basically um, these haters are complaining that uh, the new Predator movie is super, is super woke, and uh, they are they're just uh, having to put women and non-white people in everything, and blah blah blah. Um, the same people who are complaining about the Little Mermaid, basically. Um, the prey haters are funny. Somebody says on Twitter. Uh, they're very hypocritical, essentially, um, because uh, it, it's 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 basically the 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 same thing that's happening with like a lot of things like uh, the Little Mermaid and She Hulk and like any 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 um, Marvel or DC thing with a uh, with somebody who isn't again a cishet white guy. Um, Basically, this person saying like nobody nobody was critiquing uh, realism when John Wick killed seventy seven people with video game efficiency in one movie to avenge dog. Um, people get to do wild shit in movies and often should, even if they're not a white person. <laughs> and Keanu Reeves isn't even fully white, so like, what the fuck? Um, I'm pretty sure Keanu, Keanu, did I say Kanye? Keanu Reeves, I'm pretty sure he is also native, part native, so, um, yeah, which is also really funny, just as a quite ironic lead-off from dovetailing off this tweet. Uh, I will admit, before I watched, I assumed the woke talk was just people being mad about the movie having native leads and engaging with native culture. I now realize they were probably also mad about the French fur trader aspect of the story. In terms of depicting white violence, what's shown is disturbing, but not at all gratuitous. Not even a snapshot, really. As for white settlers filling the role of unlikable characters whose fates help establish the stakes and prowess of the protagonist-antagonist. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. It, it's it's very much like people who don't want to see non-white people in movies will just find whatever, ex or, or, or don't want to see a woman in something, or whatever, gay person, a, a queer person in something. They'll find whatever excuse they can to critique it for, like, something else. To try and take away from their bigotry. Um... So this is very, like, so in She-Hulk you'll see that people will, will critique the, the horrible writing or whatever um, when it's literally just because they, they're not seeing somebody get beat up or, or fucking blown up every two seconds. Or the person doing the beating up and the blowing up doesn't have a dick. So they have a problem with it. Or the Little Mermaid being black they'll bring up some bullshit about biology of how mermaids are supposed to be white or something to, to try and act like they're, it's not racism because mermaids are real and therefore subscribe to all of the um, criteria of normal biology of a half-human, half-fish. Uh, so, <laughs> it's my, my face there. 
because you can't, if you're listening to it, you can't see it, but just, I think you can get an idea of what my face is looking like right now. So I'm not impressed. Um, so, the, so basically then it's the excuse. It's like, oh, the action scenes weren't good enough. It wasn't realistic enough. Um, or, or, or it's, or it's, uh, pandering to a woke agenda of having to have, uh, people in movies who don't look like the people who are hating on them. And it's just like, there are other people in the world who, who exist. Um, and also, it's possible to make a, a movie while addressing, uh, different, you know, important issues. Issues that a lot of people who are hating on the movie for those reasons have never, ever had to deal with in their life at all. So, that's where I find it very interesting, um... People, people's critique of, of representation and inclusion, um, when it, especially when it comes to people who are not them. And I wonder sometimes, like, how much of a vacuum they exist in, and and what, like, in terms of, of, of nobody explaining to them or telling them or them having no example ever in their life of somebody else having a hardship or having having to deal with being excluded or or portrayed in a, in a negative light just because of what they look like, just because of, of their existence, people don't want to, don't, pe people immediately want to underestimate them and, 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 and make them, make them small. And it's very much a fact of the matter that with a with a big movie like Prey, like you can see that it's getting it's getting critically um, you know lauded by everybody, and it's getting um, it, it's it's getting people on screen that haven't gotten to be in that place, and and it's just now that that that's something with, that they're allowed to do. And they're allowed to do in a capacity that isn't that isn't to further the further the plot for you know a white guy, and they're not used in, in the, or they're not used in the plot as like um, as, as a casualty or or a, a piece of property, um, or what happens in a lot of. Uh, Native movies, which happens in a lot of black movies, and you get the trope of the like quote unquote quote magical Negro trope. You find this in a lot of Native movies as well. It's like the magical medicine elder who like gives you a bunch of uh, of knowledge and then like sort of un like unofficially validates you as like part of the part of the squad. So. Um, that will also happen a lot, and I think that because, like, I just don't understand why when people see something that's not all about them, their immediate reaction is to get angry, is to, is to be hateful, you know, like, that just makes me realize that there's just no concept of, of, the, of the past, there's no real concept of history. There's no real understanding of of what has happened to other people in life besides people who look like like a white person, and 
there's like our our society has 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 encouraged that though you know our society has encouraged lack of representation it's it's encouraged whitewashing it's encouraged laws to to take people out of the picture as much as possible and make it legal um <coughs> so there's a lot of um a lot of repair that needs to happen and then i feel like just as we're making those those um those strides to, you know, get get back into the media and get back into movies and film and, and find that representation, um, it's just all taken away. And, like, we just move backwards in history again. Um, there's a lot of things going on right now that are extremely scary, and I think that now more than ever, we need to listen to Indigenous communities and and what they have to say and the knowledge that they have and 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 work on on dialing back the bigotry and 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 overturning oppressive laws and being stewards for the environment and and providing the ability for indigenous communities to have their territory back and have agency and sovereignty again um, with the queen dying, I think that there is a lot of, um, pent up animosity that came out and there was, a, again, a lot of criticism about that. Like, oh, don't speak ill of the dead and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you, I think you can speak ill of somebody who was committed to, to trying to exterminate you in a way for like their entire life. In everything that they supported. Um, so, you know, and 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 we see that again. Like, there's there's a lot of themes in, in a lot of these movies. There's like the anger, the resentment, the the betrayal, the feelings of betrayal, um, the feelings of hopelessness and feeling lost. But with that, also comes. A sense of empowerment, a sense of of owning your your strength, owning your knowledge, um, having the support of of your family and friends behind you, um, and knowing that as long as you you hold on to those uh, those traditions and hold on to that sense of self and sense of of community, then you can pretty much face anything, and to have in the face of so much adversity to have um t to have this ability to now um see native expression um flourish a little bit more and um we we've gone from you know having um having a, a, a native person come out at the oscars to decline an award for somebody and having another actor almost jump them on stage and, and try and beat them up because they didn't like what they were trying to say and having people boo this person, um, boo Sachin Littlefeather as much as people were supporting her because it was a controversial thing because, and, and you think about it, like you don't see anybody in the audience booing, but those are all, those were all of our favorite actors. A lot of them were probably booing her. 
We're never going to know exactly who it was, but they were, they were fucking out there. And they're still out there. And now we've gone from that to, like, you know, there's a whole separate award show for Indigenous content, as well as it being celebrated within the mainstream award shows. So, not to the extent that it should be, and once again, to what extent is that performative and extremely long overdue, and that's going to keep happening in place of things that should be happening more, like, for example, giving people their land back, etc. But, you know what? In 2022, with so much going on, it's... I think that the way that politics are going, it's, it's, it's kind of a dangerous landscape right now. And I feel like it could, it could slide back to, it could slide back at any moment for, for anybody who is experiencing oppression and marginalization. Um, so I think it's important, um, both as, as someone who would be indigenous, who is someone who is indigenous as well as someone who isn't indigenous and would want to, um, support and, and do that allyship, um, things could change at any moment. I, I, I don't think that there should ever be a situation where any of us feel safe and secure, uh, as, as, um, as, as ominous as that sounds. Um, I think Greta, Greta Thunberg said that actually, she's like, I want you to be afraid. And then I want you to act. Um, that was specifically about climate change, but um, I think it really speaks true to a lot of what's going on in the world in terms of society's um, society's ability to put themselves back, set themselves back several hundreds of years overnight. Um, and again, that has a lot to do with our political leaders as well, but um, certain media outlets are certainly not helping that either. Um, so I'll end this episode with sort of um, my final thoughts on, uh, on this topic, because again, as somebody who isn't Native, I can only speak to it so much. Uh, as somebody who is... Um, kind of removed from, from the culture, uh, as somebody who in the past, I'm sure, has done a lot of things that were not appropriate in terms of appropriating Native culture, um, in terms of seeing things that were not appropriate and just not doing anything, not saying or doing anything about it. Um, it's, uh, it's always important not only to um, to support when it's easy, but to support when it's difficult. And um, remember that pop culture as a form of, of support for a certain group of people, it's, it's a great tool in the toolbox. Um, in terms of being an ally, it's a great, it's a single tool in the toolkit of many, many other tools. Hey, buddy. Phobos here now. Um, and I think that it's, 
as I think I sort of touched on earlier, it's uh, consuming that pop culture and as a way of ed of helping to educate yourself and also as a way of supporting artists, um, I'm all for it. And I just think that going forward, in addition to that, um, think about the, the next steps that you can take. So now that I've, I've learned more about this culture and about, about a certain person or people through, through pop culture, through entertainment, through, through entertainment, through media, how then do I now take the next step to then say their culture goes beyond just my entertainment? How can I then really support them as a, as a person? Um, so, and sort of going back to the whole uh, orange shirt day. So as with orange shirt day approaching, um, remember that it's, it's more than just, than just wearing the t-shirt, um, and changing your profile to an orange, uh, profile picture. And, um, think about, think about some of the less performative things that you can do to really support people around you that need the support, um, or who would benefit from it. And, um, think about how you can do it in the way that benefits them the most and you the least. And think about how as an extension of as an extension of, of an ally, you know, just showing up in one capacity, how can we be there in all capacities? Um, I think that's what I was trying to say. Um, cause I think, I think it's easy to, to just say, okay, well I've supported this person cause I, um, I watched this one show or I listened to this podcast, or I I I watched this TikTok. I, I shared a TikTok or something like that, and that's great. And that's and you know what? Sometimes certain people, that's all they can do. If that's all you can reasonably do, then then you know what? Great. That's that's good for you. Um, I think there's a lot of us out there, however, who can can take that as like the first steps, and then after that look at where representation, where the lack of representation actually comes from and then say, how can we look at that original issue and, and work to solve that? And then having representation can be for everybody. It won't have to be such a fight for certain, certain demographics. It won't have to be such a back and forth on, will it be easy this day and hard the next? Um, you won't have to worry so much about um, about these statistics and percentages and and people taking your your history and your heritage and your legacy and and bastardizing it and portraying it inaccurately. So I guess I'll kind of end the episode with that. Um, but in the time being, and I know that there's a lot more of uh, uh, examples of indigenous uh, media that I could have mentioned, um, 
So, I mean, if you, like, the music alone, um, but music, I think, again, is something that's a preference for people, um, but if you have time to look into some uh, musical artists, um, I would highly recommend um, Logan Stats, definitely, um, Snotty Nose Res Kids, um, Tanya Tagak, uh, and... Um, a tribe called Red, and um, what was the last one I was gonna? Uh, I want to say it's Hallucinative, but that might be um, that might be related to a tribe called Red. I'm gonna actually double check it, but those are some examples of um, some some music that I can recommend. Um, I think all of those examples were Canadian as well. Um, uh, and there was one more song that I wanted to bring up. Northern Cree. Northern Cree Facebook drama is one of their more popular songs. And, uh... Just to give you some, uh, leave you with some musical options to listen to, um, that are a bit more of like a modern, uh, example of indigenous music. Um, if you want to, um, something that's more, these examples are a little bit more like, um, influenced by Western culture, um, and like dance music and stuff, for example, in the case of Tribe Called Red, um, because I feel like when it comes to indigenous music, a lot of people just, I think, name drop Buffy, St. Marie, and Cher. And um, they don't really think about uh, a lot of the other amazing native musicians that are out there. Um, not saying that they aren't amazing, but um, yeah, so if you wanted to have some more modern uh, examples of um, native uh, music artists, then um, I would highly recommend them. And yeah, as far as I'm seeing here... They are all Canadian. Yeah, the hallucination. That's that's what they that's what this group is called. Um featuring Black Bear Stadium Powwow, that's a um a big song from them. Uh let me see if anybody else here if I was right in my let me see here. But yeah, as far as I know, all of the other people I mentioned are Canadian. Northern Cree, Logan Stats, Tanya Tagak, A Tribe Called Red, and um, uh, Snotty Nose Res Kids. Um, definitely check them out. Digging Roots. Digging Roots is another band to check out. Um, they're more of like a sort of country ish bluesish sort of um cu couple duo and uh let me see if there's anybody i missed but yeah those are definitely people that i would suggest to get into um i feel like everybody brings up a tribe called red but uh i mean they're awesome so how could you not and, um, in terms of 
Uh, I was trying to think of something to put on the sign that uh, was funny and uh, relevant to the episode without getting me the big canceled. So I think I've I think I found a solution that will make everyone happy. I think this speaks to um, the the basic bitch within as well as the as well as the uh, the staunch activist within. Um, live, laugh, land back. How, what better way to express your love this Truth and Reconciliation Day? So I hope that you all... I'm, I'm, I'm going to go put this up in a prominent place. And uh, I hope you all have a great rest of your weekend. And don't forget to live, laugh, and give the fucking land back. Fuck. Like, what, like it's hard? <laughs> um, yeah, so thanks again for stopping by, everybody. Um, and uh, I hope that you all live, laugh, and land back efficiently and safely. And until next time on Fantasy Tavern, and uh, this is Marita, a.k.a. Chikatita, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.